You're listening to Pod Wars with Gary and Justice. Hey guys, this is Gary, and welcome to another episode of Pod Wars. On Pod Wars, we'd like to dissect Star Wars, Marvel, and our favorite little nuggets of geeky media. I'm here with your good friend, Justice. What's up, guys? And new friends of the podcast, comic book couples counseling. What's up, Brad and Lisa? Hello! We're so happy to be here. Yeah! Hello! I'm Brad, and that's Lisa. Yep! <laughs> Don't want any confusion. I know, our clo- our voices are so close to each other, we are very hard to tell apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a trait for a marriage, right? You start sounding exactly the same, you just mold into one person. According to my mother, we did start out looking like each other, so... <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you guys look like brother and sister. And I'm like, great. That's weird to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my wife's a quarter Filipino, so they never said the same thing for me. So, uh, Yeah, yeah. I invested in a a diminishing property going for a straight white male, but snaps. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm watering down her gene pool. It's a shame. (laughs) But anyways, we're here to talk a little bit of Padme and Anakin. But before we do that, can, can you guys give a little breakdown for our listeners on what your podcast is, a little bit on how you mix in that kind of spiciness with the personality tests and the love gurus and the couples? Just give us a little bit of a spiel for them. You go, Lisa. You explain our podcast. What we do is we take an iconic comic book couple like... Scott Summers and Jean Grey, Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood, and we pick like an either one arc or a few arcs that we feel like encapsulate their relationship, and then we take a self-help book or a couple's help book and we apply it to the relationship. So with Scott Summers and Jean Grey, we did the five love languages. Um, Brad, you give some examples. I mean, one of my favorites is when we covered Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane, and we used the rapper Common's memoir. Let love have the last word. Do you know what? Uh, Swamp Thing and Common share a lot of traits. Yeah, they do. (laughs) I think that they would get along really, really well. Yeah, yeah. I really loved the episode where you're talking about uh, the love languages. And you mentioned one little blurb where Wolverine said, like, Professor X said something nice to Wolverine. And he's like, thank you. Like, that warms my heart. Like, he's obviously words of affirmation. Oh, totally. Entirely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's basically like, it was something I was very skeptical about originally when Lisa proposed this idea for a podcast. And I thought, like, is this... Is this just Lisa's way of tricking me into self-help reading? Talking about your feelings? Talking about my feelings? (laughs) Because it's a great idea, Lisa. Let's do it. Uh, But over the course of the almost two years of doing the podcast, like I've really come around to appreciating the opportunity to look inward using these self-help guides. And, you know, let's be honest, not all of these self-help guides are top-tier quality or accurate or even coming from what I would say a, uh, a, a moral point of view. <laughs> um, but, but every now and again, you hit one and it really connects with you. And I think the Enneagram, which we applied to uh, Noren Rad, aka the Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood in our recent batch of episodes, has connected heavily with us, which is why we suggested using it for Padme and Anakin. And even though 
I have some issues with Gary Chapman and the five love languages. That book in particular and the language that he uses in formulating his philosophy has really latched on to our daily life. And we use the love languages all the time in our household. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a, I love you guys idea. And I, I mean, it's also because of my own guilty pleasure with personality tests. Like I just love taking those for myself and like other people and all that stuff. Oh, good. What, what would you say your uh, love language is? Probably quality time. Um, I think mine would be a physical touch or um, words of affirmation. Mm, That's Brad. Yep. I'm entirely words of affirmation. I need a high five every day. Give me a hug. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the same goes for our podcast. Sometimes I just need to give Justice a hug. You know, he's just burnt out. He's carrying the team too much. And, you know, he just needs to know I appreciate him, which I rarely say. We've only just met you, Justice, but we appreciate you as well. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. I mean, I love you guys' podcast. <laughs> the, I love the idea of breaking down these characters and getting to hear you guys on like, this different take of like, the way that you analyze and think about how these characters interact. It's, it's super cool. And it's, I, it's so interesting. I think it's a great way to build uh, vocabulary around character. Um, it, like, when you approach um, a character from a certain lens, you discover new things about them. Like, hey, Wolverine's love language is words of affirmation. Or, hey, um, you know, Don Greenwood is a total number two. She's a helper. So, I, like, it builds um, vocabulary around characters. And then we can relate to characters in a whole new different yeah, way. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we uh, jump into this podcast and kind of, uh, but before we do that, kind of discuss our own relationships and yeah, oh, yeah. So uh, you guys want us to go first? Uh, yeah. Uh, so Lisa and I have been together as a couple for thirteen years. That is so unbelievable to me. Which is crazy. It's been a fast thirteen years, and we've been married for eleven years. Uh, we met while working at a Barnes and Noble. I was the music manager. I was just a, a part-time co-ed just trying to get through grad school. And um, I would lie to her about the music I liked <laughs> based on her own tastes. Yeah, he, it turns out he's not that much into the Arctic Monkeys, which is fine. <laughs> but you seemed really into him, so I was like, I'm way into the Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> and yeah. And that's us. And oh, that's yeah. Great. That's, that's and we've us, been yeah. killing it, being an amazing couple for so long. Yeah, so long. So long. What about you guys? Justice, can you share a little bit about yourself and your loving wife? Yeah, uh, so I met Morgan my sophomore year of college. Um, and she was a freshman at that time, and she was playing the uke for one of our... We, Gary and I were a part of an organization, and it was like a church thing, and she was playing the uke, and I was doing sound, and I was like, dang, she's... She's cool. She she could play the you can play and sing at the same time. Um, and then we started dating, and we've been married now for three years in August. Um, right now, it's kind of lonely because she moved back home uh, because of a job, and I can't wait to go back up and see her. But yeah, so that's that's challenging, us. challenging. That's hard. I, that it's cool that Morgan's a musician because I am also a musician. She she doesn't she likes to um, play just by her like. 
she doesn't really show anyone, but like I love when she when I'm reading comics or when I'm playing video games and she just like sits at the piano and just starts playing. Normally it's Taylor Swift stuff, but whatever. Like it's it's still just it's, <laughs> it's enjoying to like watch her play stuff. Hey man, I love to shake it off. I love to shake it off. Brad is a Swifty. He's a total Swifty. <laughs> me me too. Yeah. No shame. Gary? Yeah, so my wife and I, we've been married for about three years. We met in college too when I was a sophomore, she was a freshman. And we, you know, happily married, doing the married life thing. I was just thinking, because our next stuff, we're going to talk about Star Wars, obviously. I just remember when we got married, it was like a week or two into marriage. She woke up one morning and saw me watching Clone Wars and was like, (laughs) you're a grown man. Why are you watching a Star Wars cartoon in the morning? I'm like, this is just what I do. Does your wife also have nerdy tendencies or no? Since then, she's become like, well, she was a little nerdy. Like she loves Lord of the Rings. But since then, she's seen all of Clone Wars, all of Rebels, and then emotionally moved to the level that those shows entail. And it's been fantastic seeing that. I don't want to out Lisa just yet, but I'm gonna because that's what I do. But I cannot get Lisa to invest in Clone Wars, and it's driving me crazy. There's something about... uh the texture of the characters, they all look like they've been carved out of soap. I find the amount of action, like I'm one of those people who finds action scenes kind of soporific. I'm like, ooh, I wish. Soporific. <laughs> I get a little snoozy watching Clone Wars. Oh, man. Have you Breaking watched my heart? Have you watched Rebels? She has not. No. I have not. Refuses. Yep, I do. <laughs> We got to, you know, one important thing in relationships is establishing boundaries. And mine (laughs) is uh, Star Wars related cartoons. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. We're still together. (laughs) Which, I mean, it's it's fair. It's fair. I I can't get Morgan to even watch Star Wars at all. So you guys are, you guys are both lucky. Like I, I, you guys, your couples get to hang out and do that. Morgan likes to uh, wear a Kylo Ren shirt and then say it's Darth Vader. And, oh, oops! <laughs> or, or like, t- just like, cause she know that like it's gonna get underneath my skin, like just like messing around with me, or or she'll call uh, different characters like from X Men or in Star Wars like the wrong name just to be like, like then turn around just to see if I like look and like and paying attention. Oh, she's slightly trolling you. That's ro- very romantic. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate. You guys are that. still newlyweds, though. <laughs> in our opinion, who knows what's gonna happen? Your future holds. Who knows? Well, that's the great thing about a relationship, right? Is because you start off and, you know, you like X and you try to get your spouse to like the same thing. But then you realize in trying to get her to like X, Star Wars Clone Wars, you you find like a passion for, uh, well, Top Chef. Like right now, Lisa's introduced me to Top Chef and I've now become obsessed with Top Chef, which is something that 13 years ago, never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that I would like Top Chef. But here I am making sure we're watching every single episode <laughs> and I don't miss a second of the judges table. So you never know. That's kind of how it was for me with a uh, great British baking show. Yeah. Like, I never watched the baking show and she loved it, but that show is so good. I and had now a it's very, like, I'm watching. I'm like, Oh, they totally underproved it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a very short lived great British bake off blog that you can find on the internet if you look for it. But yeah, I, I was trying to do That's all of the te- awesome. I was trying to do all of the technical bakes. Um which I I had some success, but the problem is uh 
if you're baking every weekend uh, and you eat nothing but butter and white flour, you begin to not feel very good. So <laughs> I felt great. So I had to put a break on, on all of the baking. <laughs> ah! Oh, that's awesome. But let's take a step back here because I'd love, we've gushed on Star Wars a ton on the podcast. That's kind of our deal. We'd love to hear your guys' kind of experience with Star Wars, what you love, what you hate, kind of how you grew up with it. Oh, man. Well, how you grew up with it. I mean, that's, that's it, right? Like, I don't remember a time before Star Wars. I feel like I came out of my mother's womb wearing a Darth Vader helmet. I, <laughs> I've been obsessed with it my entire life. Uh, and I, I like my fandom began with Star Wars. My collecting began with Star Wars. Those Kenner action figures. You know, I was born in 1979, so I missed uh, A New Hope. Uh, and I, I did see Empire Strikes Back in the theater when I was uh, a wee 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 baby, not even a year old. My mom took me in, but to say that I saw it is a lie because I fell asleep apparently during Empire Strikes Back. But my first movie I remember seeing was Return of the Jedi. I remember passionately uh, anticipating Return of the Jedi as a kid. And I remember being in awe of Return of the Jedi. And that was just like, those were the movies that I watched over and over and over again, VHS copies. I burned through them. I would buy multiple copies of uh, the original trilogy. And then in the, when the nineties hit and Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire came out. That was the book that got me to read. You know, uh, I, I was in sixth grade. Uh, sure, I read a Hardy Boys book here and there, but it was only because my parents told me I had to read. Heir to the Empire was the first book where I said, I want to read that book. And th that took my fandom to another level. And then the Dark Horse comics came out. Dark Empire was huge. And then, you know, the, the action figure boom of the 90s happened with um, uh, Power of the Force figures. Absolutely obsessed with collecting all of those. I went to my first comic book store in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, and they had vintage Kenner figures. And I rebought all of the Kenner Star Wars toys that I sold what when I you know thought I was too old for for action figures in high school I rebought everything and I still have all of that stuff and I still buy action figures prequels come out yeah okay I'm one of those guys who was emotionally devastated by the Phantom Menace like I at the time was really 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 disappointed by the Phantom Menace even though I saw it six times in the theater um, and and then Attack the Clones and I didn't really like Attack the Clones. Since then, I've come around on the prequels, thanks in large part to the Clone Wars cartoon series, which is probably the Star Wars I'm most in love with right now, uh, especially that last season that came out on Disney+. Plus. I, like, that's, my, that's my Star Wars at this point. Of course, the new films, uh, I really enjoyed Force Awakens, and I love The Last Jedi, uh, Rise of the Skywalker. Like, we don't have... We don't have the time to talk about my feelings about Rise of the Skywalker. We just don't. Um, and that's, that's my relationship with, with, with Star Wars, which is not alike when it comes to Lisa's relationship with Star Wars. I was not a Star Wars kid. Growing up, I was into musicals. I was into the Muppets. I was into the Disney princesses. Uh, I did watch the original trilogy 
at home on VHS. And I'm pretty sure the only reason we ended up watching it in the first place was because there were Muppets in it. Um, (laughs) My favorite, whenever anybody would ask which Star Wars movie was my favorite, I would always say the one with the Ewoks uh, because uh, it's the only one that had a musical number in it. Yub nub for life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Yeah. And so when uh, the, so I was born in 1983, which was like, we got all of the best Disney princess movies throughout my entire childhood. Um, So, and then uh, Phantom Menace came out when I was in ninth grade. Uh, I did not see it in the theater. I was not even curious. Um, And then uh, I married Brad. Hello. (laughs) And uh, it seemed kind of critical that I seem at least a little bit interested in Star Wars. So we had we did revisit those films as we were dating. We tried on multiple occasions to watch the prequels, uh, often failing. Yeah. Um, Then uh, when uh, the new Skywalker saga film started to come out, uh, I was super excited because um, The Force Awakens was going to star John Boyega. Oh, man. Who is an actor I learned about through a British sci-fi film called Attack the Block. Super in love. I started buying up all of the Finn figures because, to me, they were Moses. To me, they were John Boyega's. And I actually am sitting right across from an embarrassingly large Finn collection. Um, And I really... I'll take a photo and I'll uh, send it to you guys on Twitter because it's... it's Yeah, we'd love that. It's hilarious. Um, But I would say of all of the Star Wars I have experienced, probably my favorite Star Wars film would be uh, Force Awakens and Last Jedi together would probably be my favorite Star Wars film. Interesting, because I know a lot of the people in the fandom are like, oh, they're like complete opposites yeah. in feel. I think part of it is um, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh I boy. go into those films with um, <laughs> enough, enough understanding that I, I understand the world of Star Wars, but I have very little nostalgia surrounding it. Um, mm. So I feel like I agree that there is a lot of retreading and updating of the themes of the original films, but I, I, I think that um, I just really in, enjoy that cast of characters. I love the relationship uh, as friends between Finn and Ray. I feel like those are are two characters who um, who kind of come together from very different worlds to have like this unified. Um, uh, kind of mission, um, and I just I really like it. What, but what what it, how did you feel about the last one, Rise of Skywalker? I wasn't a fan. Okay, okay, right. just... because I loved Last Jedi so much, yeah. and so the idea of <laughs> untangling because what I really found fell in love with with the Last Jedi is this idea that we all have the Force within us. We all have this untapped potential where we, as long as someone instills in us that we are we are each in our own way 
um, extraordinary and special, Mister Rogers, that we can we we can um, have a future that we cannot even fathom. Yeah. A future that is so magical and so wonderful that we we cannot we cannot imagine it. And so the idea of taking that away by going oh, like, oh no, actually it is like a bloodline thing. Like it, it, it seriously like bummed me out. It's interesting. You talk about John Boyega being your, your favorite or like the reason you were excited about the um, new trilogy, the sequel trilogy, because I feel like his arc was yeah. so crap uh, because of what they did to him. Like they did, they, they could have had such a cool arc with him and they chose not to. And I, he's come out and talked about that, but like, and we, we don't really have to get into it, but it's just interesting yeah. that you talked about that. Yeah, he got a total, he got the, he got the sweep of the leg. Like, yeah. at, his into, entire storyline was kind of ripped out from under him. Yeah. So, yeah. like, and, and everybody goes to a movie with their own perspective on it. And, and I really um, went into those first two films of going like, okay, this is what is important to me and what I think the story is about. And so then to have another chapter go like, oh, in actuality, that's not what the story is about at all. Like as a comic book fan, that happens all of the time. So I'm really good at going like, okay, I'm not going to include Rise of Skywalker in my personal canon. I'm just going to, my, <laughs> I'm just not going to include that in my fandom. And, that, and that's fine. Like Silver Surfer Black? Yes, like so exactly like Silver Surfer Silver Black. Silver Surfer Black, so good. It's so good. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. I will read it, but I will not include it. It is. It's such beautiful illustrations, it but is. I understand because I just read the comics with Don Greenwood, and it's like it's hard not to have her in Silver Surfer canon now. It's weird. Yeah, yeah she was a she was a nodal event. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Silver Surfer meeting her can literal, literal, he'll never be the same to me. Right, right, yeah, I agree, I agree. Still, Trad Moore, his art, it's unbelievable. It is. Oh yeah, we we talked about oh, yeah. this. <laughs> but comics aside, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but comics aside, we gotta dive into a little bit of the Enneagram and Anakin and Padme. Um, since our listeners probably at least know a little bit about Anakin and Padme, but not a darn thing about the Enneagram, can you guys help give us a little? spiel on what the Enneagram is and kind of the categories and things involved with it. Okay, well, the Enneagram is a personality system that came from the weird love child of Christian values, Eastern spirituality, and pop psychology. Um, so it's based on this circular symbol. And each oh, that has multiple points and each point on this on this circle represents a different personality type that is signified by a number and generally a title. Um, so I am a type four, which is an individualist, which means that um, I my core motivation is to be perceived as an individual and that I I resist being put into any kind of box. Uh, Brad, on the other hand, is an enthusiast. And so his core motivation is to um, avoid boredom and continue chasing what gives him joy. Hence, we are setting an apartment that is filled to the brim with action figures and he's yeah. a collector. And, and uh, yeah, Love so, so each, each personality has um, what's called the core motivation. like. The uh, end goal of all of their behaviors in general. 
And then um, those core motivations are also paired with kind of a shadow side of like um, kind of the a dark side, if you will, of, yeah, I'm an individualist, but I also have a tendency towards melancholy. Like so so each um, in each personality is this balance of darkness and light. It's interesting that that's how you explain it, just because when I was introduced to the Enneagram, I was told, and it was this, this was in college, and they were like, you should just take the Myers-Briggs test because if you take the Enneagram, it's going to tell you how broken of a human being you are. Yes. And, and if you're not ready for it, then don't do it. And so I waited a little bit, and then I took it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am such a messed up human being. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, to me, like, so the, the origin of the Enneagram was actually um, the seven deadly sins. So instead of everybody having a, uh, the seven deadly sins plus two, so not it wasn't everybody has a core motivation, but everybody has a deadly sin to which they gravitate towards. Um, so it does. It is based on what I would say is a pretty negative perspective. But then when pop psychology came along. And said, like, and said, like, nobody's going to be attracted to looking at their most broken parts. And they took that, took that idea of everybody is broken to everybody has a strength. So I do find, like, the, um, I, I can't, like, on, on a melancholy four day, I can see the Enneagram as this kind of negative thing. Plus, the Enneagram encourages you to transcend your type. So, like, the more um, versed you are in the Enneagram, the less identifiable you are by your type. Mm. Um, so, And it allows for fluctuation. Like, mm -hmm. Because you're type uh, one today does not mean you're necessarily going to be type one tomorrow. Oh, no, no, that's not true. That's no? Lisa's point of view. My uh -oh. point of view is I, I do think that your, palogy, your personality is mutable. The Enneagram uh, is not mutable? The Enneagram is you can have different levels of health. So a healthy four is going to hardly seem like a four at all, where an unhealthy four but is going to- But you're always a four. But you're always a four. Yeah, oh. yeah. I was wondering, because I was listening to you guys' Silver Surfer podcast, and I didn't know if um, you guys had talked about where like you're, yeah, like you were saying, like if when you're a healthy, I'm a three and I, I wing two a lot. Um, mm -hmm. But so like when I'm not healthy, I'm a different number. But when I'm, I guess like a healthy three, then I'm, I can- Perceive, be perceived as a different um i i took the yeah i took yeah. the test in a long time ago so like i'm just kind of basing this off of that but um i didn't know if you guys had talked about that in your as podcast yeah we talked about it a lot because um silver surfer is not an immortal necessarily but he does have an extraordinarily long life and i think that his life is is broken up into these distinct chapters and I think, like, I do believe personally that um, there are events in your life that are so huge that it will change who you are as a person. So with the example of Silver Surfer, um, he was a herald of Galactus. And when he became a herald of Galactus, that was what, what is called a nodal event, a, a, an event after which you will never be the same. And so he started as... Uh, Norin Rad, this explorer, this enthusiast, and then he was became a herald of Galactus, and then from that point on, he had this tremendous guilt from all of these planets that were eaten because of 
uh, his doing, and he became a, a type one, which is the improver. So I do, I personally do think that personalities change, but the Enneagram takes the perspective that you are, you are kind of, bo- you are like Lady Gaga would say, you are born that way. <laughs> it's interesting to hear you talk about it, Lisa, because, uh, you know, Lisa handles all of the self-help stuff on the podcast. And as you can hear, uh, as I'm working my way through it, because she filters it in a certain way, I then start to think of it as like, okay, that's what the Enneagram is. But it's actually <laughs> what the Enneagram is by way of Lisa Gullick's. Yeah, that's right. And I appreciate that. So thank you. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> well, I do want to say too, with the Enneagram, like, I like it because it doesn't fall for what I'd say is like fortune cookie syndrome, mm-hmm. where you can read all the types and feel like they all apply to basically everyone. Like if you read a fortune cookie, you'll be like, okay, this could be predicting anybody's future. Um, the Enneagram, if you read a type, there's always one I feel like that resonates well with you, either in a negative way or a positive way. And I think that like the distinctness like goes like, even if it is, um, you know, like not based in science or not 100% true. Like, I think the fact that we can take the Enneagram and we can then apply it to fictional characters that we recognize the nine Enneagram types in the world, I think underpins the idea that there is something to the Enneagram that humanity like identifies with. Yeah, well, and also the practice of using it towards a fictional character or yourself. It's just uh, a gateway for conversation and internal thought. And, mm-hmm. and that's the most important thing to me. And what I've learned over the course of comic book couples counseling is just giving yourself some time in your day, in your week to consider you as a person. Which as a four individualist, I love because my entire core motivation is who am I? Right, right, right. (laughs) And as Justice and myself hate as the type three achievers, basically looking at how I'm not achieving as much as I wish I would. (laughs) Yeah, Like, I swear, every time we have a podcast come out, we're like, oh, that was an awful podcast. We didn't get nearly enough out of it. And then it does well. And we're like, okay, I guess it wasn't that awful. Dude, I get it because I'm a wing three. That or or like, it's like a... What are people thinking or like, how can I like, like a, I'm a people pleaser too. So like, I feel like threes fall into that sometimes a lot. Um, but I also wanted to say about the Enneagram, I like it more than I would say Myers-Briggs. And I guess you guys can push back on this, but when it comes to the Myers-Briggs, I feel like there's the good four like letters and then there's like the bad ones. Whereas the Enneagram, it's just like, mm-hmm. this is who you are. And um, there's no good or like there's good parts of it and there's bad parts of it. And like, we can help you grow if that makes sense. We did the Myers-Briggs for Peter Parker and Mary Jane. I, and I also, like, I took the Myers-Briggs in high school, and I have always proudly identified myself by my, um, by my Myers-Briggs type. I'm an INFP. Um, I never really saw the Myers-Briggs as a value judgment, necessarily where I think that there are good personality types and bad personality types. Um, but I do not like the idea of Myers-Briggs of like, well, this is who you are and there's nothing you can really do about it. So the you end. might as well find a job like, oh, you're an INFP. Then these are the 12 jobs that you'll probably succeed at. Right. Like, uh, good luck with the rest of high school. <laughs> Never liked it. Never liked it. Yeah. Brad does not like to be um, confined. Labeled. <laughs> 
<laughs> so since we don't like being labeled, let's label some people. Yeah. Right yeah. We got Anakin and Padme. <laughs> so I, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I feel like Anakin and Padme are kind of like those two friends where you like them a lot separately, mm. but you don't like them together. Like, I think Anakin has a lot of awesome traits. Padme has a lot of awesome traits. But together, they're just, they just don't work, you know? There's just something off about them. I've, I, I, I only have experienced Anakin uh, as either Dar- Darth Vader or through um, the prequels. And I do not like him in the least. Like, <laughs> to me, like, every scene, like, I tend to get really bristly about Anakin and the way that he behaves and the way that he treats people. And like, and when I see Padme, like confessing her love to him, I'm like, girl, like what do you suffer a lack of options? Like (laughs) raise your standards. Like clearly he is just like this, like cauldron of bubbling rage and insecurity. And you don't need that in your life. I think Anakin is an incredibly interesting character. Mm. Uh, not talking value judgment wise, but if you look at him uh, in uh, in particular, I guess Attack of the Clones, and then all of the Clone Wars, and then Revenge of the Sith, all the pre Darth Vader stuff, like his internal torment, his agony, and his his struggle with fear and hate. Uh, and and all this negative emotion is extremely compelling to watch for me. Uh, watching it this time through the lens of the Enneagram, this is the most empathy and sympathy I have ever mm. felt for Anakin Skywalker. And I do like the idea of, like, there is a parallel universe, a parallel storyline where Anakin does overcome his insecurities, does conquer his fear, and becomes the chosen one. Mm. Like, yeah, there is this destiny that is laid out for you, but it's almost like there is a storyline where he does fulfill the prophecy and he does balance the force. You know what I mean? I would argue that he did as Darth Vader but that is a very highly debated subject. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, like, I mean, I think that's legitimately true. And if you talk to the writers of these movies, I think that's what they would say, that he does achieve the balance of the force, just not in the way that, you know, uh, heroic literature has taught us. Yeah, I guess maybe like the balance of the force in that both of them exist. But, but, I, but I agree with you, Lisa, in that I do think there is a version if, he made some different choices. And if the people around him made some mm. different choices, yeah. there would have been a healthier outcome for his character. But, you know, like it just, it just doesn't go that way. And, you know, he, he is a poisoned soul. When your master who's supposed to teach you dies, it, it, you lose a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He, he definitely has some nodal events that, that influences personality in a way that can either be um, uh, like caved into or overcame. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to take a step back to um, what Lisa said about Padme, because 
so listeners, just to let you guys know, we both took a personality test for each of the characters. Uh, we took one for Padme, and they took one for Anakin. And while taking the one for Padme, just the thought the entire time was like, girl, you have everything going for you. Why the heck did you choose Anakin? I, I seriously think that it w- was like a lack of options. Like from a time that she was like a young woman, she was pushed into public service. And uh, you look at that Senate, there's not a bunch of babes in there. I, I, well, I, I, there are babes. I think there's babes in that Senate. <laughs> uh, I, I scour the background, lots of action figures to collect. Uh, but to, to, to me, what it comes down to is the, the heat of the moment. Like, she is forced into a situation where assassins are gunning for her. Mm. Her bodyguard is this kid that she remembers fondly, had a good time during her Phantom Menace adventures, hanging out on Tatooine, this cute little kid who thinks she's an angel. Um, and now they're in close quarters, and he is lusting hard for her, and and that's flattering. And now they're in the, the uh, heat of the moment of Genosis, and they are going to die, and she basically just caves to his advances in that moment. Well, you know, like we know from reading other uh, relationship books, like when you're in danger and you're with someone you trust, that is just like a, yeah. that's just a chemical cocktail in your body for falling in love. And the thing is, it's like after Genosis and when the Clone Wars happens, now she's made a commitment and she is the type of personality who's like, I've made a commitment. I have said that I love this dude. I'm going to back that up. And only if she had pulled out maybe and said, like, you know what? I was a little confused on Genosis. Uh, I got to think things through. But let's get into Padme's Enneagram type because I think, Gary, your findings are very interesting. Yeah. So we, we took the quiz for it and I got most likely type was one, the reformer, which I thought was odd because I was definitely falling for her being the achiever. And second, most likely being eight. The challenger, which I can see because she's very confident and she's willing to confront injustice, which so one I thought was the most kind of out there one. But that's how we ended up with her. I see her. I do think that she has reformer qualities. I do think because one of the things about being a type one is the motivation to to be truly good and right. And I do think that she believes strongly in a right way to do things. But I do think that you were onto something with type three because lots of politicians are type threes because um, type three is uh, called the achiever. It's also sometimes referred to as the performer. And part of being a type three is to to achieve things and to um, be recognized for your accomplishments. But it also um, has its its deadly sin is deceit. So like politicians tend to have to be a little bit deceitful to to get ahead. So I don't think that she's particularly deceitful. I also think that she might be a loyalist where she she um she it's hard to earn her trust, but once it is earned, she's yeah. going to stick by you. And yeah, and that's where I think that comes in uh post Attack of the Clones. What number and, is that? And she does that's number six. So we're working off of uh, two different. So the test that we took is on the Enya app, 
which is a free app to start. But then once you they got you hooked, uh, <laughs> they shut down all of the like um, they shut down all of the things. So you can't look up the the personality types anymore. So I'm referring to the original book I learned about the Enneagram for um, the podcast from. And that's Enneagram in Love. So um, some of the titles are a little bit different, but the numbers are the same. And uh, the general description of the personality types is the same. And I'm looking off of the um, Enneagram Institute website. Oh, yeah. I think, I think kind of Padme is a bit different in her personality based off of her environment. Um, mm. When she is in that political environment, I see her as a bit of the... A little bit more of the achiever. She's more that politician, wants to like save the world type. But then mm. when, when she's with Anakin, she's, I think, more of a six, kind of like you mentioned. Like she's very, like, uh, in some ways anxious at times in that she's worried about Anakin. She's always worried about like his state of mind. I mean, he did commit genocide, so she has good reason <laughs> to. But, and then she has that really loyal attachment to him, <laughs> which we're kind of like, we don't know why, but it's just definitely drawn to him. Just a different person based off of that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what another thing that you just sprung into my brain that goes like maybe she is, in fact, a type three is that she is deceitful in that she does use body doubles all of the time <laughs> where she goes like, I know that I need to appear as austere and separate. So I'll just use that lady to be the austere and separate. And I can do more of the go-getter, getting things done myself kind of thing. And they hide the relationship yeah. initially. Yeah. Yes. And that is her desire. She's totally a three. She's totally so a three. saying as like, you're saying as like a type three, I'm just going to be out there and be like, I need Kira Knightley to step in yeah. for me so I can hide and do my own kind of stuff. Exactly the way that I want to. And hey, I want to have a relationship with Anakin, but I also do not want to lose my status. Mm -hmm. So she has no moral quandary with being um, a single swanging politician Side and muscle. a married woman. Yeah, and, she, and it doesn't challenge her morality. That's pregnant mm. too. That's yeah. pregnant too, which no one seems to question like who's the dad on this. Until the very last second where so, she's like totally showing and then, <laughs> then Obi-Wan is like, ah. Oh, oh. <laughs> so someone sent me a meme this week because they knew we were talking yeah. about this. And it was a picture of like, you know, Anakin when he's sitting in the bed and, and Padme's like, what's wrong? He's like, we live in a house together and sleep in the same bed and no one's noticed. And <laughs> like, it's true. Like, what the heck? <laughs> Yeah. I think that it that is a reflection of how truly self-absorbed, uh, you know, politicians are. And the Jedi. And the Jedi are. They're totally into their own thing. Well, the, I think uh, it's also a reflection of how scared people are to ask women if they're pregnant. Oh, yeah. Because she's definitely showing. I, yeah. I guarantee a guy could go up to a woman who's been pregnant eight months, and if he doesn't know, he's not going to say a damn thing. That's probably true. That's true. <laughs> Though, like, Jedi are presumed celibate, too. Uh, right, right. They can, Are they? They can have relations. They just can't have. Okay, they, they can. They can do it. They just can't have a relationship. Oh, really? George that's Lucas very... said they can have one night stands. Apparently, oh, really? well, that's oh, nice. I that's really that. open, actually. So, because so, like, had to dig that. So, a couple Sex things. Positive. We like, I guess. Um, so, like Obi Wan, if you watch the Clone Wars, like he he has a relationship, and that's why, like, I feel like he's not. 
coming down hard on Anakin for this because he knows Ooh, where he's yeah. he knows where he's been at, and also because uh, we we're talking about how like Padme doesn't have like these other options, but she did she did like she was dating someone else in the or had dated someone else in the Clone Wars, so like she she definitely chose Anakin, which is I think is weird, but like that's just something like if you hadn't watched the cartoons, you wouldn't have. That's known. true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that other dude. And Anakin Yashlovis, flips my man. out about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's Anakin's way. I think we've come to the conclusion that she's totally a three, right? Oh, yeah. I think yeah. we have. I think the test was taken poorly. I blame myself. Well, you know, but... I, I, I'm, I led you astray because I have taken the Enneagram, Ennea app quiz, and it is the quiz that is recommended in, um, in the Enneagram in love. But she also gives the caveat that really the test is not the best way to discover your Enneagram type. The best way to, to figure out your Enneagram type is to study the Enneagram and, and feel what resonates with you. So when you read your description, you should have kind of this spooked feeling of recognition mm. of like, um, like seeing yourself after a haircut for the first time where you just go like, oh my God, that's me, you know? Mm. So, so, the te- so I took the Enya app test and I got five, but I am, which is one of my wings, but I am entirely a four. And, I, and I've discovered that through study and meditation. <laughs> yeah, I, I was told that it's dangerous to take the test right after you kind of just like figure out about it because you will like pigeonhole yourself almost mm. where like there, I was, I was explained that like, like it's like if you take it, Take it with like a grain of salt, knowing that like that might not be who you really are. Like you need to like actually experience it and like dive deep, like dive deep further into that. Um, that's that's like how I was like told when I was going in to do this uh this whole test. So Brad and I took the test for Anakin, and watching the films, I was going like Anakin is totally an eight. He is he has anger issues. He doesn't care how he is perceived if it has to do with meeting his ends. Um, he, he is just entirely an eight. And then we took the quiz and we got a one where I think that a- Interesting. Anakin would think of himself as a one. Yeah. I think that um, the way he talks, it ma- he tries to make it sound like he's making the world a better place. Um, but in actuality, it's just a reflection of his lust for power. This is the great thing about doing the Enneagram for fictional characters. You take it with the idea that you are that character. And so you know Anakin would answer one way, but you know who you have an opinion of how they actually are. So Lisa and I were debating when we were taking the test for Anakin. Are we taking it pretending we're Anakin or are we taking it typing Anakin? From our perspective, because mm-hmm. I don't think he would say certain things that we would say about him. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so rich about applying it to made up people. So- well, to add on top of that, I think that if you take Anakin based off of Clone Wars mm. and then Anakin based off of the movies, you get two completely yes. different people. Agreed. Agreed. But I think that like the prequels are made with the thesis statement of if these circumstances happen to a child, the result is Darth Vader. Mm. 
where I think that having not admittedly not watched the Clone Wars, I think that maybe that the thesis statement is a little bit more expansive. Yes. Yes, for sure. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, you could definitely say like, because people have always complained that his fall from the dark side is so fast from two to three. And like the idea that the Clone Wars like builds this extra, you know, layer of like, why did he do that? And like, what giving a little more context to everything. Yeah, I, th- I think a thousand percent it does. Now, I was kind of arguing with you guys when we were messaging about this. I really think that maybe this is biased based off of kind of the website I look on. But I definitely think Anakin's more of a for the individualist, mainly because I guess the adjectives they give me. So expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. That is like Attack of the Clones Anakin to a T for me. But I think that Anakin is a person who believes that they know who they are already. Where like, so a four's core motivation is finding their true self. And I think that Anakin thinks he's a person who knows himself completely. But so, so here's, so um, partly this might be because I'm me being biased because I am a four and I'm like, there's no effing way that we are the same. <laughs> you don't want to be next to Anakin. <laughs> but here's what t- tears it for me as him, as a challenger, as an eight. Um, uh, here's the description. I'll just read a little bit of the description from Enneagram and Love. Um, eights are motivated by the need to protect themselves from being controlled by others. The eights often get the re- reputation of being bullies, uh, but this couldn't be farther from the truth. Eights fight for injustice they see around them and will stand up for the vulnerable. Uh, I'm skip, skip, skip. Yes. And then, um, and what really like made up my mind was going back to what would his deadly sin be and his de- deadly sin would be lust but and he and i think that definitely when we saw him meet padme when he was no longer a child when he was an adult like he was entirely lust um irrational with lust for her and then we saw as he um was advancing in the force he had this lust for power and he was always trying to increase his power and then ultimately his um lust for power led him to the dark side the only other thing that i go like mm, for a second i was thinking maybe he's he also has a touch of six he's a little bit of a loyalist because a loyalist is a person who um is always planning for the worst case scenario where for him, his worst case scenario would be Padme dying. And so his entire mm. change to the dark side was, um, was this idea of this is the only thing I can do to pr- yeah. prevent the worst outcome. And the deadly sin of the loyalist of the six is fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I still which, think he's an eight. Which I think he's especially a six. If you look into clone wars, because he's very uh, more responsible in that series, and he's very anxious of Padme all the time risking her life. Anx- anxious of Ahsoka risking her life all yeah. the time. And I think that's, when you see his best self, he's more of a six. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. So I think it's official, you guys. I think that we can officially say that Padme is a three and Anakin is an eight. And if you try to change my mind, uh, I'll fight you. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, a comic book, 
comic book couples counseling podcast. Uh, that's where you can find her at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I think that our testing was a bit flawed for each person, but it's like there's such duplicitous characters based off of where they're, who they're around. If you think on their view versus our view, and it can get really wishy-washy at times. Mm, yeah. Especially if you're introducing like the cartoons and the movies and I think next time like if we if we like or we should do like a specifically like movies and then like or like TV show yeah. like, break it like to really make it a unless you want a full rounded character. I don't really know. Well, well, I think I mean, what we encounter a lot on our podcast is you have the influence of the writer, right? So if you're just talking prequels, you're talking George Lucas's take on these characters. But then if you bring in the Clone Wars, not only are you talking Dave Filoni, you're talking all the other writers and directors who had a hand in that. And then you talk comic books and you're talking Greg Pak and Karen Gillan and Charles Sewell. And, and all of those people have different points of view and they start to shape and mold and bend and break character to their will. And it makes things very, very challenging. But if you look just at Lucas, this is Lucas. Yeah, which, I mean, Lucas, for most people, is kind of like the canon overall. Everyone has their head canon for Dave Filoni's Anakin, because yeah. I think everyone overall kind of just loves that a little bit more. Yeah, agreed. Me so, included. So now that we determined that they're a three and an eight, um, let's just talk about some of the highlights in the relationship, or not some of their highlights. <laughs> I mean, we have to talk about their meeting. We have to talk about the Phantom Menace and Anakin as a slave to Watto and, and uh, Padme as posing as a servant to Queen Amidala, but actually being the queen and meeting in Watto's uh, hut. And like, what is their age difference there exactly? So Anakin was nine years old and Padme was 14. That's hard math. So to me, like, is that official or is that because Padme is an elected official? Yes, she's Queen Amidala, but that is like she had a, a there's term. like a democracy there, right? There's a, a, a yeah, an election. So, of some so kind. did she start running for queen as a preteen? Uh, yes, I think if you read the is it the Queen of the Shadows book or. It was the one by E.K. Johnston, and they talk about how she ran super young, which is the same with Princess Leia. I believe uh, nerds out there from the Twitterverse, correct me if I'm wrong, at Pod Wars Podcast, but I believe Princess Leia was only 19 in A New Hope. So they can be politicians very young in the Star Wars but universe. The, sure. The Naboo like, government has this weird rule where I think it's like only like so many, it's like it's like ours where it's like two to three years of service and I think you can get a re-election or like it's you can't I, I don't know what it is off the top of my head I'm sorry but like in the film it said that when her term come to, came to a close they were considering waiving the rules and re-electing her and she refused she declined but here's my thing if she is only 14 years old that changes my entire concept of that relationship because I was under the impression that Natalie Portman was what Natalie Portman age during Phantom Menace, which was I didn't look it up. I'm gonna say around 19, 20, something like that. 18 or 19. 18 or 19. And you know the difference between an 18 year old and a nine year old is tremendous. 
But a difference between 9 and 14, less so. That's the age difference between Lisa and I. Mm -hmm. Okay. According to the Google in a five-second search, so you know it's reliable as all hell, she was only 13 years old when she was casted for Phantom Menace, making her basically 14 by the time it was released. Wow! Wow! Based off of a quick five-second Google search, don't at me, guys. Okay, but <laughs> okay. is there is there a difference between of like this age gap where you meet someone like let's say post college or in college versus someone that's like when you're a young child? Well, how old was Natalie Portman when she was in Leon the Professional? I mean, I, she's probably like Jake Lloyd's age in Phantom Menace. Okay. Uh, but, but but like to me, to answer uh, your question, Justice, I think there is a huge psychological difference. Uh, when you meet somebody post-college versus pre-college, right? So if you're 14 and you meet a nine-year-old, that nine-year-old is a kid. Yeah. And she clearly treats him like a kid. And when he comes back in Attack of the Clones and he's all buffed up Hayden Christensen, uh, she's still treating him like a child initially. But in post-college, that five-year age gap really doesn't mean anything, says the guy who married somebody five years younger than him. Yeah. Which also, I mean, society can have its positives and negatives with this. I do feel like it is often the cultural norm, for better or worse, that it's okay if the male is Mm. older and the female is younger. Sure. And that comes with its cultural challenges as well. To me, like, if their age difference is five years then I guess it's, it's cool. Well, I mean, it's, it's certainly not as strange as I had it in my head for the last Because an 11-year-old, 11-year age difference is still going to be a lot when he is 21 and she is 32, yeah. math. And, like, the way that he meets her, like, the first thing he says to her is, you know, like, are you an angel? It's such a childish, like... Uh, reach like it, it, it's such a child trying to connect with an adult uh-huh. uh, who is very very pretty and I guess in the Star Wars universe an angel isn't necessarily like the Christian idea of an angel that we have here because um, I got the impression that an angel in Star Wars land is an actual species um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong um, but if I may say that even as a child Anakin had some red flags um, I think the most unifying uh, character trait of Anakin that goes throughout his, the rest of his life is his irrational confidence and swagger because <laughs> he is immediately bragging about like, oh, I'm the only human that is a pod racer and I'm the best pod racer that's ever been alive. And then we find out later, like, well, how many pod races have you finished? And he's like, well, I've I, uh, technically zero. How many have you won? Uh, yeah, also d- d- zero times zero, it's, it's still zero. So like he always has this irrational sense that he is the best, even if that bestness has not been tested. But Lisa, that's just the midichlorians talking. It's not his fault. He's got such a high count. <laughs> uh, you, you know even... what? I've met other people with midichlorians, uh, Luke Skywalker, and he had zero swagger. <laughs> the Last Jedi would agree with that. 
you even see that in Clone Wars, where like the the last ep- like the last season, where there's a part where Obi Wan's fighting on a bridge, and Anakin just like walks up and like dodges like a bullet, and and is like, "You're still fighting," and then like takes out like the the droids, and he's like, he's like, "That was really." It was just like this, like you could tell, like you could like feel the swagger oozing off of him in that scene. Yeah, for sure. I don't like the word oozing there, Justice. <laughs> Prefer another word choice. <laughs> Seeping. He does ooze. Anakin oozes. He oozes. He yeah. gives me the skeevy jeevies. <laughs> All right. To give you guys more age difference context to Attack of the Clones, Padme is 24, Anakin is 19. So okay. imagine a college graduate young professional and a freshman in college, yeah, which I mean, isn't unheard of, yeah. but like definitely different life stages. It would really be weird if she was a sophomore in high school. I don't know. She was a sophomore in college and she was like trolling the high schools. Like if they hooked yeah. up in The Phantom Menace, that ain't cool. <laughs> No. (laughs) Well, that's like the Phantom Menace. It's like the young guy like hitting on the hot babysitter. That's kind of what it is. We're like, oh, that's just cute. Yeah. Not as weird as I thought, I guess, then. Yeah. What is weird, though, is the scene where he, the two scenes in Attack of the Clones where he like cuts the pair and sends it to her and and Padme's like, oh, this is awesome or like whatever. Like that, that, like. Yeah, exactly. The the chemical brain, like. (laughs) chemicals going off in her head and then the whole like scene at night where he's like that that such a corny line where he talks about how like he's scarred by her and whatnot like <laughs> yeah he's really? totally nagging her like yeah uh, interesting a little bit yeah yeah he is kind of nagging her uh in those scenes I, I see two kind of things from well one from anakin one from padme that are definitely just not good well anakin like lisa mentioned his lust is his sin I'd add into that he has to be kind of a slave to something. Mm. At first, he's a slave to Watto. Now he's a slave to his love for Padme or obsession with Padme. And Padme also has to fix and save things. She can see that in her political days. She always has to fix the problem. And she's given the ultimate problem on a platter when she has Anakin in front of him. Well, you you could see that when he confesses that he committed genocide with the Sand People. And she's just like, Oh, let me hold you. Not like as a politician, I would be like, or a person of like leadership, I would be grotesque that he did that. I wonder like how people of Naboo really feel about sand people. I mean, Tatooine? Ta- or, well, N- well Nab- she's from Naboo. She's Naboo, but Naboo doesn't have any relationship to sand. But people. I mean, maybe. Like maybe she like I'm I'm saying that maybe this is a, a racism a situation. racism situation where she doesn't see sand people fully as people. Uh, I, I Which mean, could be the case. It could be the case based on her personality of what we've seen in the Phantom Menace. I don't tend to see her as a racist character. I do think Although that she- the, the Gungans. The way they treat the Gungans. Mm. Oh, yeah. Sh- like, you heard me, it here I, on Pod Wars. Padme is racist. I like I. <laughs> I see the cast strata of the aliens in Star Wars very confusing. And the droid situation. Like, what's the difference between um, an alien you're speaking to, to an alien you enslave, to an alien you eat? Like, I find that all very complicated and i don't know this is like the biggest tangent ever (laughs) lisa during phantom menace when she was watching jar jar feasting on those lizards that are hanging in the the like market 
Lisa, Lisa was so upset. She's like, he's not that far removed from you, Jar Jar. Why do you hate that guy? But to me, I think that um, Padme, knowing uh, Anakin's history, does a lot mm. of contextualizing his actions because he is a damaged person. Like he was a person who was enslaved. He is a person who has had to um, scrap for everything he has ever accomplished. And then to have his mother ripped from him. Killed by the Tusken Raiders. And then killed by the Tusken Raiders. I think that she can contextualize his actions of going like, he is not a bad person. He is a person in this completely damaging and extraordinary circumstance. And Americans love revenge. You know, like humans love revenge. So you you could rationalize that he is justified in killing those people. But can you rationalize that he's justified in killing everyone? The children, the, the innocent, like the people who did not enslave uh shmi uh, to me i i agree with like my personal worldview is everybody is redeemable and i think that yeah. she goes like you can be you can do terrible actions and be redeedeemable and i hopefully she was just putting her eggs in the not redemption in an basket afternoon Lisa. yeah not, not in, in an, an afternoon, afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well it also begs the question then is she rationalizing his murder or is she empathetic for his situation? Because yeah. rationalization would be unhealthy. Her having empathy is essential for what she does in the world. So I don't know if her reaction's necessarily... Like, it depends what you think it is. She seemed pretty horrified when she found out that he had killed the, the young Padawans. Like, she was like, you were killing children. She's, her eyes are full of tears. And I'm like, yo, he's done that already. <laughs> uh, like, it's like, uh, is it like when you kill children? Is it like, okay, one time funny, text second time silly. Third time, we're breaking up. <laughs> but, like, I guess maybe this is, like, my pragmatic stuff. Like, she knows that she's a, he's a Jedi, and that's mm. not what Jedi do yeah. or mm. shouldn't do. Um, so like that, that immediately to me would be like, well, there is something going on. Like I, I should go to the Jedi temple. I need to talk to Obi-Wan. I need to talk to Yoda, even though like at this moment, the Jedi are flawed as all can get out. Like that, that's something I feel like Padme should have gone and said something. Mm. Yes, I agree. I agree. Especially because she's comfortable going to like, as soon as. Later, when he begins spiraling, the first thing she says is, you should go talk to Kenobi. But the thing is, like, in Attack of the Clones and in leading all the way through Clone Wars and into Revenge of the Sith, she has built all these secrets, mm. right? And when you're built, like, when you're hiding information mm. from Obi-Wan and, and other people and all you have is Anakin, it's, it's, hard, it's, hard, to, it's hard to break out of that. That's an excellent point. Because she's a three. She's used to deception. It is one of her, it's a tool in her tool belt. (laughs) I I don't know. I I feel like she is a little used to deception. I do think also, too, when she comes headfirst into Anakin's dysfunction, she becomes surprisingly weak for a very strong person. She becomes very weak in that moment. Mm. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And like disappointingly weak as a viewer. Yeah. All right. So, do a three and eight work, Lisa? Is that did, yes. is that a good number? Yes. They do work. Oh, oh, do they work? Yeah. 
Okay, let's see. So I do have the book that we used for um for Don Greenwood and Norrin Rad, The Enneagram and Love by Stephanie Baron Hall, right here. So let's see what our love guru has to say about threes and eights. Threes and eights both tend to be intense, dynamic, and lively in a relationship. They share a sense of passion and assertiveness and tend to go after what they want in life with full force. Oh, interesting choice of word, force. Um, (laughs) Both types can get feedback that they are too intense or intimidating for others. So when they are together, they share a mutual appreciation for finding someone who matches their energy. So I'm going to, so that was just the first paragraph. I'm going to um, flip to the end of this section and read you your their strengths and their areas to work on. So oh, here are it. the strengths for threes and eights. Threes and eights often understand each other well because of their shared energy and intensity. They create a safe harbor for each other. I think mm-hmm. that that is definitely true. Like where you do with, with the exception of when Anakin wakes from dreams and mm-hmm. is troubled in that way, for the most part, when they are together, they are then apart from their problems. They are kind of an oasis for each other. Hmm, interesting. I have a quick question, though, just to, just to throw something in there. Like, are they, like, I guess, like, they don't see each other ideally. Like, their ideals don't match, though. Like, the way that Anakin views how to fix the war is completely different from the way that Padme wants to fix the war. And, like, they're always stepping over each other when it comes to, like, their wishes and, like, ideas. So is that... I I I just want to know like does that add a layer to this this three and eight relationship? To me, like when we've done studies of different couples, I I always am interested in the alignment of principles, and this isn't from isn't from Enneagram, but this is from the Bowen Family Systems theory, which um is the, which has this idea of what is part of your essential self and what is part of your negotiable self where like what is you all of the time and what is the parts of yourself that you're willing to give away to function in a group or function in a couple and people who are stronger individuals have less negotiable aspects and i feel like Anakin and Padme are both very young. And I think that even though they both would think of themselves as very principled people, I, I think that there is an inherent weakness to both of them. And I think that they give away their principles um, a lot of the time to function as a couple, which I think is leads to problems in the long run. Mm. Brad and I saw this it, between the, uh, a DC couple um, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. They're, they're a couple where they both have very different principles where Harley Quinn's principle is let's create chaos and let's have fun where Poison Ivy, her principle is, is this helping the planet? Does this, how, do, how does this, um, what does this outcome mean for the world of plants? Mission-based. Yeah, and they get, a, they, they're an example of a couple where I feel like they both have a very strong sense of self. So they have less to negotiate with as a couple, but that actually strengthens their relationship because they both know where their boundaries are, where I feel like Anakin and Padme are really still um, negotiating their boundaries. 
Sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to throw like a wrench in what you were saying. I just wanted to like add, ask that question. But it, oh no, I think that's a really interesting and important question. So now here are a three and eights areas to work on. So um, industrious, hardworking pairs like this need encouragement to take a night off, rest, and have fun. I think that especially as we get into um, Revenge of the Sith territory, you you we don't see them taking a lot of breaks. To like really strengthen their relationship as a couple. Um, threes and eights need to plug fun dates into their busy schedules to cultivate real emotional connection and let loose a little. Things don't always have to be under control. I, de- I definitely think that as um, they became, both grew in their power, her power as a politician, moving from being um, a royal, more or less, with a lot of where she was more of a symbolic role and to a member of the Senate, which is much more of a, a working man's politician. And then um, uh, Anakin really pushing from being seen as a Padawan to being seen as a master, whether he's earned it or not. Um, I think that they do stop connecting on that fun level where they, they're just work, work, work all the time. Yeah, and you have you know him going off and to do battles and wars and her going to other missions and planets to, you know, do whatever her politician self does. And there's never times where they come back and they just relax. It seems like in the movies, at least, we see them still discussing the war. Mm. I think one thing that would serve them both would be to do an inventory of principles and really discuss, like, our principles do not have to be aligned, but here here are the the boundaries that I draw. Here are here are the right. Th- yeah, like to me, uh, after the Tuscan Raider massacre, uh, you need to reevaluate some things. And just from a much smaller point of view, after Anakin says, like, well, there should just be like one guy who decides everything. There should just be a dictator. Like that is so opposed to Padme's belief system. That's like you know somebody who is. Um, you know, uh, uh, intensely religious, like uh, like like a super Catholic trying to to get along and mate with an atheist. Like those are viewpoints that are so opposed that you need to come to some kind of understanding. You can't just let that comment drop by the wayside the way that Padme does. I love that idea of creating boundaries there mm. too. Yeah. Like, I mean, Padme should have probably made the boundary, obviously, no murdering people mm-hmm. and um, advocating for communism when you're in a position of command. Probably not a good call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely I definitely agree. And I think that it is their pace in life that doesn't let them right. consider like, hey, you know, he did mm. massacre a bunch of innocent people people like some of them not innocent but some of them you know children like how do i really feel about that and is that like a a uh what is it called a deal breaker (laughs) (laughs) it's a deal breaker for me lisa oh good to know if you have to ask if murdering innocence is a deal breaker you probably have (laughs) you're probably overscheduled like you know, if you don't have the time to consider, like, true, true. Uh, yeah, is totalitarianism, is that, does that make you a bad person? Like, you're probably too busy. Clone Wars, man. But she doesn't even have time to th- really think about it because they're yeah. thrust into the Geonosian 
battle yeah. thing and 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 then it's when you have her you know confessing her love so it's just like i i just think she's like in a like got a mixed bag of emotions all at once and anakin's like hell yeah she just said that she loved me and i think he she also does um kind of push a lot of the responsibility of what anakin is thinking to uh, obi-wan and go like oh well obi-wan will talk about like it's not my job to talk principles with Anakin, it is Obi Wan's job. So hopefully he'll the take care will of that. Take care of it. Yeah, I think never so. trust the teacher. Says the former teacher. But when he starts really getting in trouble, like that's who she. She doesn't say, "Come to me with your problems." She yeah, says, no, "Go to Ben Kenobi no, with your problems." Yeah, Obi-Wan. I think that's exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think the sad part is like Obi Wan wasn't even really supposed to be his master, Qui Gon, Qui Gon, right. and so like Obi Wan's still. I feel like even in the prequels, never in this position where he's he's viewed as. Like, he always says, like, you know, like, you were my brother when he, like, cuts him down. Like, I, I feel like Obi-Wan was never, like, at that prime spot to give these kind of moral principles to um, Anakin that's in, like, a fatherly way instead of just, like, a yeah. here's, here's the moral Jedi code. This is why you should do it. That's an excellent point. And I think you could say that about all the Jedi on that council. And that's why Qui-Gon should have lived. Mm. Yeah. Get to Force Ghosting quicker, Qui-Gon. God. <laughs> he only just figured it out. <laughs> like Qui-Gon to be bygone. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I love that pun. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out like what Enneagram type Obi-Wan would be. Like, would maybe, I think he would also be, oh no, I think he's a type two. I think that he's a helper. Mm. You know, he's been instructed to help Anakin and gosh darn it, despite what Anakin is up to, he still thinks like, uh, this can, like, I can, I can talk him out of this. I can help him through this. Well, and I think that's because he has a blind faith for Qui-Gon and what Qui-Gon saw in Anakin as a boy in a, mm. like, that's motivating so much of Obi-Wan over the course of these movies. Yeah. So I think he's a two. I would say that Yoda is a five. Where Yoda is an <laughs> oh, observer, because the thing with Yoda is like, um, he tends to just like not say what his opinion is unless he is directly asked about it. And when he shares what it is, it is very considered. So Yoda is always watching and always gathering information and always putting that information away for when he is directly asked about it. Interesting. So he's a total five. Hot take. I would say that most, if not all, the Jedi are nine, the peacemaker. Again, I'm biased based off of what I'm seeing as a source, but receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. Especially mm. the complacency. complacency. Yeah, I like, think that's just definitely fine true. with all of this, like all this chaos going on, all of this dark side growing. I think that definitely their ideal is peacemaker. They would love to think of themselves as peacemakers, and yet they all carry lightsabers. I think that Windu is an eight. It, Windu is an example of an eight that has stayed on the light side because he is, he is a person who is very assertive with his opinion. And he always, he, he carries out his opinion, whether he thinks it's going to be popular. Here, but ah, ah, this is Windu's flaw. Ooh. Windu knew that Anakin was not the guy. Like, yeah. And Windu knew that there's something wrong with this kid. And Windu did not have the confidence or the uh, energy 
to confront Yoda or the council. Oh, so you're saying this oh, is his complacency and when he was in fact in yeah, nine with perhaps I, an eight wing. I, I think Ooh. so. I think so. I think Windu should have acted way earlier and we would have a very different uh, trilogy but if that, Windu did. But he also believes in the council. And so he did air his opinion. Like, I don't think this guy is it. And everybody's like, yeah, but we voted. But like, yeah, but that's the top <laughs> chef thing, Lisa. That's like, Tom goes like, you gotta be you got like if you believe a thing, you got to stand up and do, do your dish. Windu <laughs> needed to serve his dish, and he he He's, just let the team fail. Oh, we I, I think you're right. You've changed I love them. how this got to top chef. Yeah, everything for the galaxies right now. Until we've watched all the seasons, everything comes back to top chef. Top chef. I love how you're just like so. I love how you're just like throwing out like are you like you've already thought about all these characters. Where I've just like been so engrossed with just like Anakin and Padme, you're like saying these things. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh yeah, oh, my, oh wow, this is yeah. And then I'm just like, I'm just like listening to hear you like what you have to say because it's awesome. But Aww. like, here's See, I'm just thinking the random ass characters, <laughs> like I... Salacious Crumb. Definitely, you know, he's complacent. He's a peacemaker. He's just there laughing next to Jabba. Oh yeah, oh, I, think, I think you could type Salacious Crumb. But here's the here's the truth about this podcast and Lisa. Lisa has never paid attention to the prequels in this fashion until she had the Enneagram to watch the movies through. Like, mm. and, and, and I think it has completely turned us around on the enjoyment factor of the prequels because we were able to uh, apply it to our podcast lens. Uh, to me, like, uh, I... I'm a very close watcher when given homework. Mm. Like when I was watching these movies in preparation of this podcast, I had the subtitles on. I had my notebook out. Right. I was taking notes um, where in the past I <laughs> this might be hurtful to some of your listeners, but like there was so much in those films that. I had to keep in my head all at the same time to understand exactly what was going on that I've just kind of, I would zone out during the prequels. That, that's not fair. But so now true. that you've, now that you've watched it through this lens, do you have more of an appreciation for it? Or are you still like, no, I certainly have more appreciation for revenge of the Sith mm. where I, I came away saying I, yes. I really enjoyed watching this movie, especially through the lens of the Enneagram and this idea that we are all balanced. We are all a balance of darkness and light. And it's always a very fine line that we're walking where like a simple insecurity or a weakness can take us to the, the dark side and the great, and you can't really understand the light side until you understand the dark side and vice versa. Mm -hmm. For me, this is the first time I've watched the prequels post the Clone Wars cartoon series where I've watched all of the Clone Wars mm. and it did raise my level of appreciation for Revenge of the Sith as well. I think also applying the Enneagram to it helped and doing this close watching of it extremely helped. And if you go to my Letterbox uh, account, you will see that my Revenge of the Sith rating rose a half a star. Mm -hmm. and like. When we get to the end of Revenge of the Sith and we have the confrontation between Padme and Anakin and he effectively kills her 
right then and there. By breaking her heart by, and almost her neck. Well, yeah, almost her neck. And then that confrontation with Obi-Wan. I Another mean, boundary I've, they probably should have set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no joking. Yeah, that's a definitely. <laughs> have a safe word. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but, but like, I had a genuine emotional reaction to Obi-Wan staring down and looking what he has just done to Anakin mm. by severing his legs and just standing there while the lava and the flames take him. And I found myself like choked up for the first time ever watching Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. And that's Clone Wars. That's this podcast. That's the Enneagrams effect. Yeah. I mean, we have not talked about the, the, his relationship with Senator Palpatine, but I mean, maybe we don't need to because that's not the focus of it. But I, that's like another huge influence on where Anakin goes. I think that um, Senator Palpatine is also an eight. And I think he knows exactly how exactly where Anakin's buttons are and how to exploit them, where he's going like, um, you deserve more. You are underappreciated. You're not being given what you you earned and they do not like you. So why are you conforming to them when clearly you are better than them and you deserve all that you lust after? So. and I and I found that to be a very interesting relationship as well, and a relationship that ultimately um, overcomes his, his what he believed was his number one relationship with Padme, where he's like, okay, if it's a choice between what I what I ultimately left lust over power or um, the love of my life, I will choose power. I just I keep on wondering, and maybe we'll we'll explore this later, of the idea of. Based off of these personality types, are Padme and Anakin a good fit? Were they kind of, quote-unquote, doomed from the start? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it depends on the dark, darkest aspect of each Enneagram type and the situation there. But I, I just love the fact that something like the Enneagram and your podcast kind of speaks to this, really makes it so that you just look into the characters and appreciate them in such a more in-depth and greater way and it makes you enjoy the created material and the product a heck of a lot more yeah i mean for me treating a character like a person is silly maybe but if you're in love with storytelling you have to treat the characters as if they were walking in your reality and to give the character that level of respect it just furthers your enjoyment of the the experience. And to me, as a four, as an individualist, <laughs> I I look at every piece of art going like, what can this teach me about myself? Mm-hmm. So by taking these characters and going um, and empathizing with them so entirely to the point of going like, well, I would make this choice too, or I wouldn't make this choice. I like I feel like human beings have evolved to tell stories as a way of really meeting ourselves. Reflection. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the cliche is that storytelling, art, comic books, books, paintings, whatever, they're mirrors for the human you know, observing them. And we should all remember that and treat it as such. And you know what? Who doesn't benefit by exercising their empathy? Yeah. Well, 
probably Padme because she was empathetic to a murderer and it kind of led to her dying. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> it's a great thing in general. You know, boy. <laughs> but yeah, we'd love to thank you guys just again for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for breaking down this couple here and showing your comic book couple's counseling flair. Oh, thank you for having us. We had a blast. Our pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could talk Star Wars all day long. <laughs> Where can our fans follow you or find you guys? Are you asking where you can uh, send the words of affirmation? I am always <laughs> accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, I almost said Letterbox. I really do not Letterbox. She has Letterboxed in forever. <laughs> Tell her to Letterbox. Uh, and you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. You can find the podcast wherever fine podcasts are found i'd say sold but uh we don't really sell our podcast although we do have a patreon now <laughs> so uh you know patreon.com slash cbcc podcast find us there and get some bonus content we're at cbcc podcast on twitter and instagram yeah 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 that's right and justice where they where can they find us you can find us at podwars podcast or you can also email us at ask podcast at gmail.com and we would love it if you enjoyed this episode to write both of go to both of these podcasts on iTunes and write us some reviews. Uh, we would really appreciate it. And everyone have a great week. I think uh, Jar Jar I mean, Binks is an individualist like I, myself. No, we don't have time to get into Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs>